would, if you want to take your Bibles, I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn over to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 1 through 10. That's what we'll be dealing with today in our, in our message. You know, if you study the lives of great people, you'll find that their greatness was revealed in their dark periods of life. Paul was in prison. He wrote the prison letter. Jeremiah was in a dungeon. Daniel was in a lion's den. The Hebrew children were in a furnace. Bunyan wrote the Pilgrim's Progress in the Bedford Jail. Luther was confined to a castle in Germany, and there he translated the Bible. Um, Fanny J. Crosby, she was blind. You know, she's one that wrote many of the, the uh, songs that we sing in church. So their greatness was really revealed in their dark periods of life. Well, if you got your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Maybe you can follow along with me. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this is all-surpassing power, is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For those of you that are a little older and maybe sports fans, maybe you remember Bobby Knight, he was the head coach of the Indiana Hoosiers uh, basketball team from the early 70s, probably to the turn of the century. Well, Bobby Knight had just got so disgusted, he just quit. And in an ex exhibition game with Russia, Bobby Knight became so irate with the officiating and with his own uh, team that he was... Uh, when he was thrown out of the game for his third technical foul, he just ordered the team off the floor and he just quit. He just walked off right there. The game ended abruptly with more than 10 minutes left on the clock. Now, Bobby Knight shouldn't have quit, but haven't we all felt like that on occasions? Haven't every one of us just felt like just quitting? Maybe your marriage looks hopeless. You're frustrated because no matter what you try, it doesn't seem to improve. So you're considering just throwing in the towel and just giving up, just quitting. Maybe it's your task of parenting. You try to discipline and teach, but you find your children resisting and rebelling. 
and you feel like just throwing up your hands and saying, it just doesn't work. I might as well just let them do what they want to do. Or maybe you have responsibilities at work and your job seems futile. You go through the motions every day, but it's all just lost its appeal. Why not just walk off the court and leave the fans in the stands wondering what in the world's going on? Some of you may even feel like quitting the Christian life today. You started out with, with high hopes, but it's just not working out the way that you imagined. You've yielded to temptation again and again, and there's been troubles, and you begin to think, why even bother? Why not just drop out of the church? Why not just indulge in the sinful pleasure of this world and live for myself? Why don't I just throw in the towel and just quit? Well, maybe you have a responsibility in the church that you've performed year after year. And eventually you say, just, what's the use? You know, there are all kinds of reasons why people get disillusioned and quit. Bills mount up. Health breaks, people disappoint, energy wanes, and criticism certainly hurts. I read that the worst defeat in the history of college football came in 1916 when Georgia Tech defeated tiny Cumberland College of Kentucky 222 to zero. It was such a mismatch that Cumberland never made a single first down. The much smaller Cumberland players, they were just being mauled. They were just being tore up. About the beginning of the second quarter, one of the Cumberland run, running backs, he fumbled the ball and it rolled toward one of his teammates. And he yelled, pick up the ball. And the man yelled back to him, you pick it up, you dropped it. You know, we know how he felt, don't we? We know what it's like to just get hurt over and over and over again. And there are times that our situation looks so hopeless and so helpless that we just quit trying. We're just tired of being knocked down again and again. But the Bible encourages us never, never quit in the Christian life. I know in Galatians, the sixth chapter and verse nine, let us not become weary in doing good. For at that proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, the people that I've come to appreciate the most over the years, they're not necessarily the flashy people or the gifted people, but they're the people who don't quit. They don't give up. They're there year after year after year at their post and doing a good job. They're dependable. They are tenacious in doing the things that they are supposed to be doing. There are the people who make the wheels turn in the church or any organization far as that goes. When I see the Apostle Paul saying twice in this chapter of 2 Corinthians, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. You know, I am impressed because Paul, he had every reason to quit. You see, Paul had a physical ailment. He called a thorn in the flesh. You know, he encountered all kinds of opposition and discouragement. He was poor. He was 
alone. He was single. And he was often neglected. But he said, we don't lose heart. We don't give up. We don't quit. And if you look at verse 8 and 9, struck down but not destroyed. In other words, we're knocked down, but we're not knocked out. You see, in this age of burnout and disloyalty, we need to discover Paul's secret in this fourth chapter. You know, there are a number of, of things listed, qualities listed, that enable us to keep from losing heart. But I want to talk to you about three of them this morning. Just three of them. The first one is this. Paul didn't lose heart because he remembered his responsibility. He did not lose heart because he remembered his responsibility. You know, I want to talk to you today, today about what many would consider a nasty four-letter word. It used to be a good word. It used to be an honorable word. But it seems like we've come to hate this word in our culture. It's spelled D-U-T-Y, duty. Don't we hate that word? I quit going to church because I didn't want to just go out of duty. I quit putting in extra time at work because I didn't enjoy it anymore and I didn't want to keep doing it just because I was obligated. Or I'm, going to, I'm not going to stay in this marriage any longer out of just a sense of duty. Or I quit giving because I felt it was my duty and I don't want to give because I feel obligated. Folks, one of the reasons why there is so much irresponsibility is because we've convinced ourselves that all of life is supposed to be pleasant. You've heard the saying, if it feels good, do it. You know, but we know that's wrong. We know we don't believe that. But we feel just the opposite is true, I believe, sometimes. You know, it doesn't, if it doesn't feel good, we should quit doing it. You know, we think any time you go contrary to the way that you feel, maybe you're being cheated or you're, not, or, or you're acting hypocritical even against yourself. But you see, that's just not true. Folks, much of life is fulfilling responsibility, showing up on time, whether you like it or not, doing your job, even if it's not what you want to do disciplining your children even though you'd rather just let them go, performing quality work even when you are tired. You see, life is not all fun and games, and everybody's enthusiasm runs out on occasions. The real test of your maturity is if you keep going during the times when you've lost that joy, but you do it out of a sense of duty. Cabot Roberts said, Character is the ability to stay with the resolution long after the mood in which the resolution was made has left. You know, sometimes you kiss your wife goodbye because you love her. Sometimes you do it out of a sense of duty. Not very often. Sometimes you go to work because you can't wait to get there. Then there are occasions when you go because you feel a sense of responsibility. That's why you go to work. Sometimes I come to church on Sunday mornings because I'm anxious to worship my God. But then there are times when I come out of a sense of duty. 
There are times I'd rather just be a holy roller. In other words, just pull the covers up over my head, roll over, and go back to sleep. I can just call one of the elders and say, hey, you're on today. But I come out of a sense of duty. I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like shaking hands. I don't feel like smiling. I don't feel like preaching. I sometimes feel like looking at you like you look at me. But I come because it's my duty. I know in the Old Testament, in Ecclesiastes, in the 12th chapter, verse 13, it says, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I come to church because it's God's expectation of me, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. I come sometimes and smile when I'm worn out because the Bible says, be kind to one another. I sing because the Bible says, sing and make a joyful noise in your heart to the Lord. I preach because the Bible commands me, preach the word and be instant in season and out of season, when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. Let me ask you a question. Where did we ever get the idea that enthusiasm for a task returns when we quit? I find out that when I go through the motions out of a sense of duty, that so many times my spirit begins to pick up again. Action begets attitude. You know, we have the idea that if we're tired of something, we ought to just back off for a while so we can be rejuvenated. Now, I get it. I understand there are times when people have been overcommitted and they need a vacation. I understand that. But a lot of our talk about burnout is just cop-out for our irresponsibility. We need to develop a sense of duty, a commitment to keep going regardless of feeling. I slept and dreamed that life was beauty. I awoke and found that life was duty. Let's look at verse 1 again. We have this ministry. We do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. You know, Paul recognized that he had a responsibility greater than his own personal feelings. He had a ministry to carry the gospel to as many people as possible. And folks, we do too. You see, we are ministers as well. You know, I imagine there were times that Paul didn't feel like going to prison. There may have been times that he didn't enjoy a good beating. It probably wasn't always fun to be ridiculed or humiliated or, or shipwrecked. But he refused to quit because he had duty. He had a ministry to take the gospel to the world. We have this ministry through God's mercy. You see, Paul remembered how he received his salvation. He remembered that he deserved death because he had persecuted so many Christians. He literally tore up the church. But God in his mercy had sent Jesus Christ to die in Paul's place. How cool is that? That is just wonderful. Now, I doubt if Jesus went to the cross because it feels good. In fact, in Gethsemane, Jesus sweat drops as large, as large drops of blood. And he pleaded with his father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. 
But you see, Jesus went to the cross because it was his responsibility. It certainly was contrary to his immediate desires at that particular time. But Jesus had a sense of duty because of his concern for mankind. Because of his concern for you and me, he did that out of that sense of duty. And what Paul is saying here is, I remember God's mercy and Christ's sacrifice, and therefore I cannot lose heart. I have this ministry, and so do we. It was President Nixon. He awarded a Medal of Honor um, posthumously to a Vietnam soldier who in the midst of battle, he saw a live grenade roll into his foxhole. And instinctively, he just rolled over on that grenade and he took all of those exploding fragments into his own body. And he saved the lives of several of his comrades. Well, the young soldier was killed instantly, of course, and no one else was injured. Now, just use your imagination for a minute. Let's say a year later, those who were spared, they decided to have a get-together in honor of the man and give a, a plaque to the parents of that man because of their appreciation that their lives had been spared. Can you just imagine any one of those men saying, I'm not going. It makes me uncomfortable. It dredges up such bad memories, I'm just not going to go. But out of a sense of appreciation, they would go whether they felt like it or not. There would be a sense of duty that was honorable. When we remember God's mercy, folks, we can't quit. Jesus Christ hurled his own body across our lethal sin on the cross. He absorbed the explosion of sin and guilt and death just so that you and I might live. And when there is a great get-together in his honor, I feel an obligation to be present. Don't you? Most of the time, I come out of joy. Sometimes, it's just my responsibility, but I do not lose heart. By the way, I think one of the greatest lessons you parents can teach your children is a sense of responsibility. Insist that they do their chores, even if they're tired. Teach them to go to school, even if they have a headache. Make them write thank you notes for gifts, even if they'd rather not. Make them go to Sunday school and church, even if they don't feel like going. I am so thankful for parents who made me go to church. I mean, we went every time. When those church doors were open for anything, we didn't ask if we were going to church. We simply asked, what time are we leaving? We knew that we were going to church. Well, I hear parents who say, well, you know, I don't want to force my children to go to church. You know, I don't want to warp them. I don't want to mess up their, their psyche. I don't want them to resent it later. Folks, let me tell you something. For every person you can find who says, I don't go to church because my parents made me, 
I can find you a dozen who are still in church because their parents made them go. When my family couldn't go to church because of weather or because of sickness, we had church at home. Just like we're doing today, because we cannot get out to the church house to go. It doesn't stop the church from worshiping God. Because, see, we are the church. And, excuse me, and when we had church at home, it brought back such wonderful memories. One of the things it did, it taught me the importance of worshiping God and being around the Lord's table and communing with Him. If it was important enough for my family to do it at home when we could not go to church, I learned that it was important. You see, we have this ministry. We have this responsibility. It's our duty to remember the mercy of God and do not lose heart. Paul didn't quit because he remembered his responsibilities. Secondly, Paul didn't lose heart because he maintained authenticity. You know, if you're going to be a faithful person, you've got to be for real. You know, you can pretend for only so long. There is nothing more exhausting than being insincere. Even worse than being worn out is being found out. And no one wants to do that. I heard of, heard of a butcher who had only one chicken left in his freezer and it was almost closing time. A woman came in and said, I want a three-pound chicken. Well, he went back into the freezer, and he got out that chicken, and he put it on the scales, and it weighed two and a half pounds. And she said, I really need a three-pound chicken. He said, well, wait here. And he went back into the freezer, and he stuck a lot of ice in this chicken. He came back out, and he put it on the scales, and it weighed three pounds. And she said, well, that's great, but I've changed my mind. I'll take both chickens. If you try to be something you are not, you will either exhaust yourself or you'll be discovered. Either way, you will not finish the course. You will have to quit. And if you're going to not lose heart, you must make a commitment to be yourself. You see, Paul was real. He was not a phony. He didn't use deception. He says, I don't use secret ways. I don't distort the Word of God. And generally, there's two ways or two reasons why people distort the Word of God. The first reason is profit. There's this TV evangelist who claims that he gets special visions from God. And he promotes himself and he will say, this book I have written is just for you. You need this book. And he tells the people that no matter how poor that you are, you should send him um, your money. He said it's seed money. You know, if you sow the seed, God says, I will give you a bountiful harvest. And he says, I have just received a vision from God. If you bless me in my ministry, God will bless you. This fellow is distorting the word of God. He's taken scripture out of context. It's incredible that anyone would ever send him money, but many people do. I will say this. He won't last. He may get rich, 
but eventually he'll have to quit or he'll be exposed. People distort the word of God for profit. So that's one reason why people distort the word of God. Another reason is pride. They're too proud of their intellectual pursuits to humbly submit to the truths of God's word. It's been some time ago, years ago now, the General Assembly of a particular denomination, they met, and according to their publication, their delegates took the following action. A resolution stating that homosexuality is one of the sins listed in the Bible and is unacceptable lifestyle for Christians, it was overwhelmingly defeated. The assembly also deferred a hotly debated resolution concerning salvation in Jesus Christ. They deferred it for additional study as if it needed additional study. Well, this debated resolution was introduced by a very conservative minister who wanted to confirm the basic truth that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. But he failed in his attempt when opponents said that it might damage their interfaith relationships. Can you believe such stuff? Jesus plainly said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. But human pride rejects Jesus and crowns itself as authority. No doubt many people are wondering what in the world is going on here. The simple truth is that there is distortion of the word of God. Human pride has surpassed the Bible. Paul said, I don't do that. Even if it hurts people's feelings, I tell the truth. Some people may not like it, he said, but it's my job to tell them the truth as clearly as I can. That's my job. I cannot distort that truth. You know, truth is seldom vague, and it should be obvious to others, regardless of your endeavor, that you're not hiding anything, that you are dependable, that you are real. Paul said, my message may be unclear to some who are perishing, but that is because in their disobedience, they have pulled a veil over their face so they cannot see. And then in verse 7, you see it talking about um, the clay pots. In that day, it was customary to hide valuable treasure in very unimpressive jars so they wouldn't be suspect. So they could hide something. And Paul says, we are like one of those jars. We're not very impressive. We may have cracks. We may have imperfections. But it's not the vessel, but the content that's important. Inside these unimpressive jars of clay, we have the treasure of the Word of God. We don't claim to be perfect, but Christ is. We don't claim to have all the answers, but Jesus does. We don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ, and we do not lose heart. And the third thing, Paul didn't lose heart because he was out to combat the adversary. You see this in verse 4. You know, if you are a competitor, you know that there are times that you don't quit simply because you want to overcome the adversary. Maybe you despise an opponent so much 
that you wouldn't give them the satisfaction of gloating over your defeat. You refuse to quit because you cannot stand the thought of your opponent winning. All through the Bible, folks, we are told that there is a supernatural evil force that is ruthlessly seeking to destroy you. Sometimes he's called Satan. Sometimes he's called the devil. Sometimes he's called the prince of darkness and the prince of the power of the air. But right here in this passage, he's called the God of this age. And that, of course, is in contrast with the God of eternity. The God of this age is the arch enemy of God, seeking to defeat his people. I know in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. He seeks to defeat you and me in two ways. He distorts the truth through false teachers so that the gospel is confusing. He blinds the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of Christ. He gets people so caught up in their sinful pride and, and pleasure that they're spiritually blind to the truth. It is incredible how people can be so near the truth and still not see it. I know in the second in Second Timothy, in chapter 3, Paul speaks of those who are so loaded down with sin that they are ever learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. It says in verse 8, Men of depraved minds have opposed the truth, who as far as their faith is concerned are rejected. Now, what can I take from this message? In short, in summary, here it is. Don't lose heart. Even though your task may be unpleasant, be responsible. You have a duty. The second thing, don't lose heart. Even though you are surrounded by phonies, you are authentic. Number three, even though the adversary blinds some people to the truth and would drag you down, you be determined to win the victory and don't quit. Remember, folks, you and I, we are a child of God, and he has promised us the victory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for giving us the victory if we just hang in there and don't quit. Father, help us not to lose heart so we can continue the fight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.